0: There's a story I've heard a few times that always makes me smile. Basically it goes University A from one country and University B from another form a partnership. And University A says, hey why don't we do this plan? To which University B says, that's great, but it's very difficult. So Uni A goes back and creates a new plan to overcome difficulties and shows it to Uni B who says, this is great, but it's very difficult. This goes around in circles for almost two years new plan, it's great, but it's difficult, until someone from Uni A turns to a colleague and says, we keep coming up with plans, but the other uni says, it's difficult. The colleague looks back and says, you know they're just being polite, right? They mean it's impossible. I like the story because in a very wholesome way it shows even when using a common language we often misunderstand each other. Both universities are trying their hardest to be polite, and if you've worked across borders long enough, you've likely experienced this too. Someone misinterprets you; you don't understand their response, and this continues until you realise neither of you are talking about the same thing anymore, and you wonder, why didn't we just ask the other one what they meant? But in terms of diversity and inclusivity, I think there's a little lesson from the anecdote. Why didn't anyone speak to the colleague sooner? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you happen to find yourself in the world at the moment, and welcome to the QS In Conversation pod. I'm Anton john Crace, and I'm the editor and program designer at QS Cockerley-Simmons. On this week's episode, Andy Coxall, Chief Executive of Common Purpose Student Experiences, joins us to discuss why diversity and inclusion are linked, and why leaders from diverse backgrounds should be active participants in decision-making. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thanks, Anton. Thank you very much for having, having me.
0: Uh, delighted to be with you. Perfect. Uh, I think the first question is the easiest one, which is, can you tell me a little bit about what Common Purpose does, uh, its mission, that sort of thing?
1: So, yes, a common purpose. We're a global not-for-profit committed to developing leaders who can cross boundaries and tackle complex problems that they see in their organisations, in their communities, in the wider world. Um, And we do that by running experiential leadership programmes across multiple career stages. So sort of pre-career, working with university students and then emerging and senior leaders um, in very much in their careers and in their organisations. Um, um, and I head up our work with university students. So we work with a whole host of universities every year to develop their students as inclusive leaders.
0: You've hit a couple of things already, which is uh, cross-border leadership and inclusive leaders. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that means?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think what well, within our within the organisation we've been really really focused on how to support leaders cross boundaries of all kinds so in a very globalized complex world as we live in today very interconnected world we recognize that leaders need to be able to lead across boundaries of all kinds to be able to affect change they need to work with people who are fundamentally different from them they need to be able to adapt to totally new environments and so we've developed uh, a model of cross-boundary leadership um, and we have various leadership pedagogies such as cultural intelligence that underpin that and so we look at how can leaders cross boundaries of geography but also generation how can they work with people who have fundamentally different beliefs come from very different backgrounds who have different specialisms work in different sectors Um, and we really want to support people to be able to move between that and to be able to really tap into the innovation and creativity that comes when you bring together truly diverse teams Um, so Cross boundary leadership is absolutely critical to us. And then we're very within that really interested in how can we support leaders to be inclusive leaders and to be able to 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 manage diverse teams in that way. So within the student context, it's really looking at how can they be a generation who can bring people together, who can bridge divides um, and equipping them with the skills and competencies to be able to bring together diverse groups to work on complex diverse problems. Um, So it's absolutely core to what we do. um, And it's as a not-for-profit and a registered charity everywhere we work, this notion of inclusion, equity access how do we ensure students have the opportunity to participate in these programs and to connect with each other it's absolutely cool it's a you know a driving passion it's absolutely our purpose as an organization
0: Absolutely. I suppose you've also uh, hit on another, some very interesting points. I, would, I don't want to be unfair and say that often when we talk about diversity, we really only think about cultural diversity or nationality diversity, but there does seem to be that understanding. Uh, is there other areas that you're looking in terms of disability access? For example, COVID-19 has shown that work from home opportunities are uh, are plenty. Uh, so is there a sort of disability, um, sexuality, any other sort of diversity that Common Purpose is looking into?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we look at diversity in its, in, its, in its very multifaceted nature. But I think, you know, specifically in that we've done a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work with widening participation students. So first in family to university, students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and supporting them with giving them access to global experiences pre-COVID by taking people to other cities to go through leadership programs in other contexts. But now doing that virtually. Um, We've also done a lot of work across in the UK in particular, working with some of our corporate partners, running programs for students with disabilities across the UK. So I think we really look, look at diversity in that broadest of senses and I think often you know actually bringing together people who have those different backgrounds who see the world differently who process problems differently is absolutely critical for learning um, it's not just the 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 diversity uh, you know that's 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 visible on the surface it's really how do you support people to work with people who have who see the world differently who have very very different backgrounds and helping them to try and find that common ground
0: I suppose the next question is, uh, why is diversity important? And more specifically, what are the benefits of having diverse leadership groups and also diverse teams?
1: For us, um, it's absolutely critical. I think, you know... You can see many, many reports published that teams with greater diversity are actually much more effective at a bottom line level in terms of their ability to get things done, in terms of business growth. And I think so for us, that runs through everything we do. And what we're trying to encourage is that you know bringing together diverse viewpoints mean that you're gonna come up with greater innovation and creativity. It means you're gonna come up with better solutions to the problems that we face, whether that's in your workplace context, whether that's at the societal level. Um, so it's absolutely crucial. And in today's world, it is in essence a given. The challenge is how do you, when you have that diversity, how do you make sure that you also have the inclusivity to make sure that everyone can bring their whole selves to that team or to work, um, who can bring everything that they are and all their different formative experiences experiences to work so that you can really tap into that Um, and so we do a lot of work outside a student outside a student supporting organizations to create those kind of inclusive cultures where people feel that they can bring their authentic selves to work and through that the organization can then also and the teams and people can start to then benefit from people bringing their authentic selves to work.
0: I want to stick with that a little bit more, actually, because diversity and inclusion is a term that's used quite a bit. Um, and you've hit on quite a bit uh, the what the difference between diversity and inclusion is. But can you talk a little bit more about what inclusion means? For
1: us, inclusion means that you operate in an environment where you don't paper over differences. You don't pretend that they're not there that you lean into that and you step into that and encourage people to explore what those differences are so that you can actually understand well why do why do you see the world differently to the way that i do And what can I learn about that about myself. So it's really about give, creating that space where people can have those conversations, what we would call courageous conversations, maybe go into the, what, what are often seen as no go conversations, but actually creating a framework where people can talk in that way. And I think so much of that is building understanding, it's building awareness, it's understanding others and better understanding yourself and how you view that world and creating a safe space where you can have those conversations. When we're pushed to make things happen and get things done, it can be easy to paper over it and just sort of ram things through. Um, And in a time of crisis like this, to, to focus on that but I think for us it's really about how do you encourage people to create that space so that they can have those conversations, can be curious, can be inquisitive, non-judgmental and people can be vulnerable and open and honest with each other and from that you build that much deeper awareness and understanding of each other which then means that you're much better equipped to deal with problems and deal with crises ahead because you have that inclusive team and inclusive culture set.
0: I think also there's some very real examples, real world examples uh, of how diversity can benefit technological advances. For example, I know there's quite a few articles that have come out that have found that um, uh, stuff like automatic soap dispensers have difficulty Recognizing people with non-white skin or different facial recognition because a lot of the programmers were of a certain ethnicity. So there is that real world example of there's these sort of blind spots. Are there other blind spots as well that uh, increasing diversity within higher education can help rectify?
1: Uh, univer- working with, you know, we, work, we partner with sort of over 50 universities every year, supporting them to bring together students from different backgrounds to go through these leadership experiences together. And I guess the thing that's always struck me working with universities as we have for the last 15 years is just how diverse university campuses are today. They are you know, just the most amazing opportunity for young people to come together at a formative time in their life to mix with people from every different type of background. So universities have all the ingredients there of that unbelievably diverse student body, diverse academic body and staffing body and the fact that they are truly global um, and engaged in a truly global form of education. And I think that actually if you can work with students at that stage to help to capitalise on that learning opportunity that exists there and that diversity that exists there and to help to break down some of the silos within institutions or between courses or between departments and get students, to truly come together across all the different borders um, and boundaries that exist within universities, then I think huge amounts can be done to equip that generation to go out into the world with the ability to work with people who are fundamentally different from them, mm-hmm. to be able to tap into that creativity that comes with it. So I think universities have almost a unique opportunity and, you know, you could argue almost a responsibility to ensure that they, they seize upon that because they have something that will prepare that generation for the rest of their lives
0: absolutely the i want to i want to sort of press you a little bit on this though you talked about breaking down the silos and and breaking down the barriers what are some of the approaches that should be taken or, or what would you recommend being taken within an institutional level to break down those barriers i mean not not for me to
1: say what i think universities should do i guess i can really only speak to our experience um in bringing together very diverse groups of students to go through programmes. And I think that you know the the notion of interdisciplinarity and getting students to work across discipline, academic disciplines is very well embedded in universities. But I think often it's easier for us as an outsider coming in to work and partner with universities to be able to force that a bit and to actually bring together students across very different academic disciplines because we're running co-curricular programmes. We're not tied by credit or structure, but rather can can talk to students about leadership development, about employability, about purpose, about social impact, and pull students in where their starting point isn't, well, what discipline am I in and what classes am I taking, but actually is who, who am I as a leader, who am I as a future employee, and how can I engage with people across different disciplines in this way? we've seen a huge appetite for that, you know, and students want that. They're looking for those opportunities. I mean, and it actually in these COVID times, there's huge opportunities within that. You know, last year we had just over 6,000 students do our programs across 12 months. And this year we've had 6,000 complete our programs just in the last six months. Um, Mm -hmm. So students want these opportunities. They want to engage with their peers from different disciplines. They want to engage in experiences outside of a classroom and beyond their subject area. So I think it's just about how do you offer the diversity of experiences so the students can take them up? because not everything's going to be right for everyone. And what we offer will be right for the students who want to come on a programme like ours, but won't be for others. So I think it's incumbent on us and other providers, but also on universities to think about, well, what are all the different type of learning opportunities that students want? And how do we offer them that really diverse menu so that we're speaking to everyone and everyone has a way to engage with that, rather than just seeing it as a sort of one size fits all approach to it.
0: Mm. Now, we're touching on COVID-19, and I do want to talk about that a little bit later on. But before we do, how is this space changing? Uh, How has it been changing over the past few years? I know within higher education, the UN's sustainable development goals have become a a focus for many institutions. The the type of courses and the type of offerings that that you are delivering, how are they changing?
1: I mean, I think we've been working with very closely with our partners over the last six months to support them as, as everyone pivots online and looks at how they can continue to offer the skills developments and industry access and global experiences that students, students want and, and, and rightly demand of their institutions. But I think, yeah, as you say, that has been a lot more long drawn out process. I think we've been working, one of our big partners in Australia, RMIT University, for example, we've been working with the last four or five years on how to reframe global experience. What does global actually mean? It isn't just, although it is for some, getting on a plane and going and doing an exchange somewhere else, but what are all the other mechanisms for delivering global experiences to enable access? So whether that's doing purely online courses, whether that is moving people from one part of the world to another, whether it's about offering global experiences on campus and in the city that they're in and tapping into the inherent international nature of the cities that we're in and the communities that we're in I think yeah this is that's only been accelerated and I think a lot of people have been looking to accelerate those kind of shifts and COVID has provided an opportunity and a burning platform to have to accelerate that so we're seeing a lot of shifts at that level it's interesting you mentioned the SDGs I think especially now with 10 years to go until 2030 there's been a big push within universities to start to address the SDGs and give students a way to engage with them and I think we're seeing that students are really seeing the SDGs as a framework and a language to articulate what was already there their desire for impact but it's giving them a way in and it's giving them a way to formulate their thinking and it's giving them a network and a community to work with so we're now running We've been rolling out across this year a number of programs looking at how can how can we develop the skills that students need to be able to advance the sustainable development goals, either in general or specific goals that they're most passionate about. So, for example, at the moment, just start literally starting today, we've got 2000 students from across the Universitas 21 global network of universities participating on a course called global citizenship, which is fundamentally about how to advance the SDGs. So all 2000 of those students will pick one of the SDGs that they're most passionate about. And over a three week asynchronous course with some synchronous workshops attached to it, they'll work with their peers from across the whole world from across the 18 countries of the U21 network to look at how they can advance that SDG and how they can make make those next steps towards it. So I think those kind of galvanizing frameworks, are so important to the world they're so important to to students and and for us as an institution you know absolutely committed to, to goal four and to quality education as an education provider in that sense
0: And that's a very good point as well, that higher education, or education in general actually, is in an interesting position of being a sector that is not only impacted by the SDGs, but also has the opportunity to impact the SDGs as well. Considering that Common Purpose does have a large network of current students and alumni, how are the students' desires and student needs changing within the diversity and inclusivity space?
1: We're seeing a huge interest Across the student body in issues around inclusion, around well-being, around equity. I think so, for example, we were due to be running a big program this year around loneliness and mental health and well-being, recognizing that many of the challenges that that young people in this case in Melbourne were felt in terms of engaging with society and their place within it. So I think we're seeing a real focus from students on topics like that and when we run programs you know we recently ran a program for was it one and a half thousand students in Melbourne with RMIT university giving students the opportunity to pick and choose the issues that they're interested in um, and I had this fantastic opportunity to cherish a session on which was titled you can't handle the truth facing up to the colonial history of Australia and we had a uh, an indigenous man who runs an Indigenous business, talking about his own experiences and the challenges that Australia faces and the the big leaps that are required for Australia to recognise its colonial history and to move to becoming a much more inclusive society in the context, in his case, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And just the interest and commitment from the students in that space and their desire and commitment to Go there and to have the conversation and to face up to their own history and to face up to how they've been educated or not been educated, as the case may be, Mm. Um, to me spoke volumes. You know, they didn't shrink. Um, yeah and I think it was amazing to see and I think you know we also had um, Senator-elect Lydia Thorpe as the first Aboriginal woman in the Victoria Parliament speaking about shifting the, the course on Indigenous narratives there as well and talking about her life and activism. Again I, I, mean, I was I was running another session at the time so I couldn't be part of that but again talking to colleagues about that again a very unflinching upfront look at at history and identity recognizing what has happened in the past and shifting the narrative ahead, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement and the drive for social justice in Melbourne, in Australia and the wider world. And I think these are conversations that we have to be having. And their conversations as students are absolutely driving and demanding. But I think, you know, we, we have a responsibility to react to that. We've got to help support them in that as they look to drive that social justice agenda.
0: We are in a very different period where we have COVID-19 and and traveling is restricted. So sending students overseas, and in fact, sending students into classrooms is still quite difficult. How do you then take those conversations which are very intimate uh, and very face-to-face required and take them into an online space in a meaningful way?
1: I I, I'll, I'll be honest I mean I like many people going into COVID I was looking at well how how much can you shift into that space you know how much has to be you know sat together to have those conversations and to create that environment and I've been absolutely blown away to see how you can create that space and you can create those environments for students to have those conversations in the online environment absolutely it's far you know really really Challenge my thinking and exceeded my expectations that we can have those conversations like I just mentioned addressing Australia's colonial history and looking at um, systemic racism and discrimination in society those conversations can be had in a real rich way and I think the really exciting thing about virtual is it just increases access so if I think about some of the work we were due to do this summer you know we were we do a lot of work with King's College London's business school and Bristol taking students abroad for experiences and in those we might work with 30, 50, maybe 100 students at a time. We haven't been able to do those, which of course is a great shame. But instead, we've been able to work with nearly 500 students from across Kings, which we wouldn't have done otherwise. So I think the opportunity in these times to engage more people in the conversation, to increase access, to remove some of the barriers to participation that Previously existed means that we can get bring more people to the te- virtual table and have those conversations with ever with an ever greater diversity of students, and I think that can only be a good thing. And whatever the world does become, we've got to hold on to that, and I think we've got to hold on to the the increased access that we now have, the ability to offer more opportunities to people to enable greater equity and access, because we're seeing the benefits of that—that that more and more people are benefiting from experiences that they just would not have been able to have. Yeah. So I think I think I think there's huge opportunity in that, and you can to your question absolutely have the conversation in that environment. Um, It's just all about how you frame it and how you set it up and how you create that safe learning environment so that people can be very open and honest, can be vulnerable, can have the difficult conversations, knowing that sometimes it might get a bit, there might be a bit of tension or things might not quite come out the way that you want want to but that you've got that safe space where you can have that have that discussion because I think we all need to have it we're all looking for that and at a time like this it's a moment of great introspection and reflection on our lives and what we want Um, so providing that space for people at a time like this is absolutely critical because they're not getting it elsewhere because they can't go out and see people and do the things that they would normally do to have those kind of conversations.
0: Of course we were talking before the start of this interview and you mentioned that the, a lot of the work that you were looking to do online actually started prior to COVID-19 and COVID-19 had sort of brought that into focus more. It, it forced it. What sort of work uh, outside of what you're doing now were you planning on doing and how is that developing?
1: Yeah, as you say, we've been running a whole host of asynchronous courses for a number of years. You know, last year we had well, the 6,000 students who did our programs, one and a half thousand of them were online. But that is absolutely accelerated. So it's now starting to roll out more and more asynchronous courses, recognizing that when students are really dispersed across time zones and international students can't get back into countries to study, prospective students are having to start their degrees online. Offering that self-paced social learning methodology really works for a lot of universities and student cohorts and enables, you know, hundreds, or if not thousands of students to come together and learn together. So I think we're accelerating that and looking at developing more content in that space. And we've seen with our, our course on the SDGs, just the appetite that there is amongst, amongst students for it. We've also been doing a lot of work around methodology and pedagogies to take our real high touch small group work based programs where students work on on grand challenges faced in society and really fine tune how you deliver that same teamwork based experience and very, very real skills and competencies uh, outcomes um, in that environment. What's been really interesting over the last six months is that across the board are are our leadership skills and competencies outputs in terms of a learning outcome for students have have by and large held exactly the same but in some cases have gone up by enough a significant amount um, for us to start exploring that so it's really interesting to look at in this virtual environment how are we able to deliver more effective in some cases skills and competency development than we were in the room and why why has there been that shift and to really understand what what it is in 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 the virtual environment that's enabling us to deliver that kind of skills and competency output
0: the process of diversity and inclusion is not really one that simply you do it there's an end point it's finished it evolves gradually over time and what this what it looked like in 100 years is different from what it looks like now of course but for you how do you see the way in which diversity and inclusion is promoted within higher education and the appetite and the desire of students changing and, and that delivery changing over the next short period.
1: Whatever, I guess, whatever we do step out into, I th- I guess, you know, as you rightly say, these things are a lifelong journey and people are on that journey throughout life. And I think it's interesting to reflect on Actually, the comp, so for example, we're, I'm outside of our work with university students running a course on cultural intelligence for the Australian Defence College so working with people within the defence in in defence in australia across multiple levels um, very senior positions through to people relatively new to defence and actually the types of conversations that we are having there and the discussions that we're trying to have and the questions around you know the discussions around inclusivity are are the same conversations we're having with with university students the context of course is slightly different but i think everyone is in is on a journey and having those conversations so i think actually it's gonna be a case of more conversations like that. People are going to want to engage. I think when people start to come back together in person and start to unpick what they have learned over COVID times and that shift and the challenges they faced, I think there's gonna be real push to drive inclusivity at greater pace and to look at issues of marginalization within access to look at how can you actually genuinely offer education to all in a real equitable way and how do you find different delivery models to be able to do that as has been the case with a lot of people you know recognizing digital exclusion during COVID times and actually you know we will make the assumption that people have got laptops and wi-fi and of course not everyone does and so how do you start to offer models that work for communities that don't have that access and need delivery to be done in different ways so we're in you know, different ways of using social media channels as ways to deliver content rather than expecting people to go onto an LMS um, and download content or watch things or go get, get onto Zoom to participate, for example. So I think those drivers towards increasing access and giving different, you know, developing different ways of distributing education, I think is going to be a big drive. And I think, again, that's only ever a good thing. Um, we're doing a lot of work at the moment in that space and thinking about how do we start to, you know, how, do, how can we help some of the underserved communities um, in terms of leadership development opportunities um, and what are the methods that we need to do that. And so I think those kind of questions are going to become even more important as we move ahead um, and provide great opportunity. They are challenges, but they're absolutely, absolutely full of opportunity for ways for us to be able to increase access and to ensure that everyone has the opportunity
0: to participate. I think that's a perfect time, a perfect place to end it. Thank you very much for joining me on the show, Andy.
1: Thank you, Anton. Great pleasure to be with you. And uh, yeah, all the best with uh, the rest of your podcast.
0: Hi again everyone, it's Anton here once more. Thank you as ever for listening to this week's episode of The Pod, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If the story at the start piqued your interest in the way language and linguistics can shape the world, you may be interested in the upcoming Subject Focus Summit. Themed languages and migration in a globalised world, it runs from the 15th to the 17th of December, so go to qssubjectfocus.com for more information. Later this month, of course, we'll be having our QS in Conversation live, so visit qsinconversation.com for more information, and on behalf the team. Good night.